Amen. Thanks, man. You guys go ahead and take a seat and grab a Bible if you have one. Um, Meet me over in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, we're going to look at two of my favorite parables in the Bible, and they are the two shortest parables in the Bible. However, have no fear, just because the parables are short doesn't mean my sermon's going to be any shorter. So here we go. Matthew 13, verse 44. Here's what it says. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant searching for a fine pearl, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. In 2005, a Canadian man named Kyle McDonald successfully traded a red paperclip for a house. I kid you not that one day he decided to go online on eBay and say, I wonder if I can actually trade this thing up to find something else. So what did he do? He puts the red paperclip online and somebody bids on it. And they trade him a fish pin for his paperclip. So then he got that fish pin and he traded it for a doorknob and then for the doorknob for a gas grill and the gas grill for an electric generator and then the electric generator for a snowmobile and he kept going into an actor who collected snow globes decided to ask him, hey, if you can get this specific snow globe, I will trade that for a spot in a movie. So he gets this Kiss snow globe, he ends up trading it for a spot in the movie, and some town in Canada says, hey, if you will trade us the spot in that movie, I will give you a house. He ended up trading a red paperclip for a house. Y'all, that's crazy to me. But here's the deal is most of us have things in our lives that we find valuable. Maybe it's things that you find valuable that nobody else in the world around you cares about. Like my eight-year-old daughter, my eight-year-old daughter loves squishmallows. Anybody else? Only one? I, I, I proudest moment in my life is I named her latest edition Sir John Mellow. So that's, that's what we get every day. She talks about her squishmallows. She loves things like gibbets and she loves poppets. Like, I could care less about any of those things, but she would trade the world for the next Squishmallow. Every time she gets money, it is in her hand and out of her hand in two seconds to get the next Squishmallow. Honestly, it's the biggest waste of money and time on the planet, but not to her, not to her. What about you? What are the things that you find valuable? Is it photos of your kids? Maybe it's the trophy from the glory days, right, in high school when back in the day when you finally got that MVP award. Maybe, maybe it's that sentimental teddy bear that grandma gave you. That it doesn't really matter to anybody else in the world. It's the most valuable prized piece of possession to you. Here's the point. The value that you place on something is shown by what you're willing to give up for it. Like, it doesn't matter what anybody else in the world thinks about it. The question is, is what do you think about it? Now, here's the question, just to put all my cards on the table, is what would you be willing to give up for the kingdom of God? That's that's Jesus' big idea in this parable. What do you find most valuable? Okay, do you find Jesus more valuable than the things that you have? Or maybe for you, it's like Christmas at my house. Every single year, bar none, we end up getting these gifts. Like my, my two-year-old son, I remember this, we got him a bike and we went all out and bought him the best bike ever. He opens up the bike, puts it aside and plays with the box. I'm like, really? Next year, bro, we're just getting you a box. All right, because at the end of the day, that's what you cared about is the box. 
What if all the things that we live for are just boxes? Like, in the grand scheme of eternity, what if one day when we get there, we have all of it there right in front of us, and we're ascribing value to all the wrong things? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about asking yourself the question, is what I'm living for worth living for? Maybe for you, if you're like me, I'm a car guy. It's that new Rivian. Oh, they're sweet. Like, they go zero to 60 in 3.5 seconds, and they look, they look sleek. Like, I can look at that, and I'm thinking, that's amazing. Now, you might not be a car person. You might be an education person. Honestly, some of you, if we're honest, care way more about where your kids go to college than where they spend eternity. And, and you're, you're willing to leverage everything you have on tutoring and, and college prep classes and discipling your kids towards Harvard instead of heaven. What are the things that you're putting value in? I remember the first parent-teacher conference that we had um, with one of my kids, and we walked in, and it's post-COVID, and the, the teacher, and, and look, by, like, I, I praise God for these teachers. They're amazing. But she sits us down, and she starts talking about how um, our, our child, because one of them is in the room, and they're, you know, giving me feedback today, so I'm going <laughs> to leave names out of this, um, how they're a little behind. And we're talking, and I've become smart enough not to open my mouth all the time. So in the back of my head, I'm like, dude, seriously, first grade, like, they're still picking their nose and taking naps. What are we talking about? Quantum physics? And we keep going, and we keep going, and I pause for a second. I say, hey, I have a quick question to ask you. Does my child get along well with others, and are they respectful to you? And the teacher's like, well, yeah, 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 of course, they're, they're amazing, but let's talk about, re I'm like, listen, with all due respect, I really don't care about their grades right now. And they were baffled. I was like, let, let me just tell you, when, when my child is 30, nobody's going to ask them what their high school GPA was and if they were the high school MVP of their football team. What they're going to ask them is, are they respectful to others and do they get along well with the people around them? I mean, we'll get to their grades later. Like in first grade, if we're in 11th grade, we're having the same conversation, we, we, might, we might need to talk about this. But the reality is for most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we got to ask ourselves, what do we put value in? Like, don't get caught up in that stuff. Teach them Jesus. Teach them to be good human beings, and they're going to be okay. The rest, they're going to figure out. How do I know that? I turned out okay, I think. Right? I mean, and look, if you knew my childhood, you would be like, that's the, that's the guy that got voted least likely to succeed in life. Some of you aren't necessarily putting your value in bigger, faster, stronger, but what you are doing is you're looking to your left and you're looking to your right to see what your neighbor or your friends have, and you're constantly comparing yourselves to them. Like, I'm never going to be pretty enough because they're prettier. I'm never going to be successful enough because they're more successful. Man, if I got to go on, I got to go on one more trip just to match them. I mean, we, look, and I'm just telling you, it's hard, y'all. I live in this world. I look at my kids and the opportunities that they have, and sometimes I get trapped in this mentality of like, we got to do the next travel team or else, or else they're not going to make it. Again, I don't want to put this in a little box here, but I, I never played a travel sport a day in my life, and I ended up playing Division I sports. Like, like it, it can work out, y'all. Don't put too much pressure on yourselves. See, the reality is, the reality is, and C.S. Lewis says it best, pride isn't thinking that you're better. Pride is simply thinking you're better than the next guy. So you constantly are stacking yourselves up against one another. 
And here's why we do that is because we're really trying to feed an identity and feel good about ourselves. And the reality is you don't have to do that. Today, what I want to do is I want to ask you to slow down and ask yourself the question. I'm going to put it on the screen here. Is what you're living for worth living for? Is what you're living for worth living for? Like when it's all said and done and you get to the end and you're crossing the finish line of this thing called life, are you going to be satisfied with the investments that you made in this life? All right, jump back in with me at verse 44 and let's dissect this. Verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and he covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has to buy the field. Real quickly, just to sum up the parable. So Jesus is using this as an illustration to make a point. He's saying that this man randomly stumbles upon this field. He finds a treasure in it. He covers it up. And then in his joy, he sells everything that he has and he goes and buys the field. Now, a lot of people want to get to the ethical question. Is that right? Jesus doesn't actually address that. Don't miss the point, okay? Don't get, don't get lost in the weeds here, all right? You can deal with that later. But here's, here's what I want. Like, I want to pause here for a second and just ask, wouldn't it be good to be that guy? Like, how many of you are like, man, I wish I stumbled upon a field and I found something? Just not that long ago, I was talking to a friend of mine in the church, and he, and he was telling me that they, they went on a trip, and on that trip, they found an envelope filled with cash, in it, like thousands of dollars of cash. Okay, first thing you need to recognize, that might be the cartel, so you should bury that for the next guy. But once you get past that, like, wouldn't you want to be that guy? Like the metal detector guy in a Speedo going around the beach. Like we've, has anybody ever wondered, do they actually ever find anything? They do, because they wouldn't be doing it. Hey, quick, quick story real quick. When, when me and Allison first got married, I'm, I'm left-handed. Uh, if that's a revelation to you, like, oh, man. Uh, we, I was on the beach, and I was throwing the football, with my left hand, and I looked down, and my wedding ring was gone. Y'all, we just got married. I'm thinking, we about to get divorced quick. <laughs> so what we did is we hired a metal detector guy. Walking around the beach, I was like, 20 bucks if you can find my ring. And it wasn't, you know, they didn't have these cool silicone rings back in the day. Like, it was like the legit gold rings, right? He found it. So they do find stuff. So praise God for that. <laughs> Why would anybody do what this guy does? Why would anybody find a field and leverage everything they have for something that, that just seemingly has nothing in, in it? And, and listen, here might be the key words to the entire parable, the most important words. In his joy, he sells everything. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Here's why. Because what you get in return is more valuable than what you gave up. That's the point. That's the key principle. See, listen, obviously the point that Jesus is making is that the kingdom of God is way better than anything you could have in this world. So what you give up for the kingdom is you get so much more in return. Here's the question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Now that word kingdom, it's an interesting concept. So I think let's double click on that. Let's dissect that and dig in a little bit. Kingdom, I mean, just in, in principle, a kingdom is a place that has a king. Like, aha moment, right? But it's so much more than that. It's not just a place that has a king, but the kingdom of God, you have to start there. The kingdom of God is a place that is ruled by God. But again, not just that, because if you think about it, all of heaven and earth is ruled by God. So it has to be something deeper than that. Think about it. When Jesus came, what does he announce? He announces, behold, the kingdom of God is here. 
When John the Baptist came, what did John the Baptist say? He talks about the kingdom and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So, so when the Bible talks about the kingdom, it's not just talking about a place, but it's also talking about a, a presence. Let, let me try to illustrate this for you because it's kind of a hard concept to get. Imagine that today, right after church, um, I drove my five-year-old son, Elliot, down to the Atlanta airport. Okay, and I take Elliot and I put him on an airplane to New York City. He gets picked up by an Uber at JFK and sent over to Central Park. Sounds a bit like Home Alone, right? Uh, so, so he gets dropped off in the middle of Central Park. How do you think Elliot would feel in that moment? Scared. Yeah? Pretty reasonable. Now imagine, instead, I drove down to the Atlanta airport. I got on the airplane with Elliot. We flew to New York, to JFK. We got in an Uber, and we went to Central Park, and we rode the carousel together. How would Elliot feel then? Secure. Why? Because of my presence. You see, it's not just a place, but it's a place with presence. That's the kingdom of God. And now, now for some of you, 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 you can't even imagine a world. I, I want you, you think the world is bad now. Imagine a world where God's presence wasn't there. Now here. If you call yourself a Christian, it's not just that his presence is there. His presence is there intimately. He lives inside of you, which is like he walks with you day in and day out together. See, and one day his rule and reign is going to come to earth once and for all. His presence and his glory is going to overtake this place in a physical way. And yet until that time, here's the promise. He will be with you even to the end of the age. He is with you every single day of your life. Here's my question for you, though. Do you believe that's enough? See, because the reality is, is, if you don't get the kingdom, if you don't get the fact that if God pulled away his hand from this world, even as bad as it is, it would become a million times worse, then you would never realize the treasure you have in Jesus, even in your own personal life, is so incredibly valuable. You never walk alone. There's nothing, absolutely nothing in this world more valuable than the presence and the power of God in your life. And some of you are missing out on it. See, that's the reality is some of you are missing out on the kingdom and it's accessible to you, but like you're gonna see in this parable, it's hidden still. It's like the greatest secret ever told, except it's not a secret at all. You could have it if you wanted it. If you invite Jesus and his presence and power of the Holy Spirit into your life, it would actually change everything about you. The kingdom is a treasure. So I want to I want to pause, slow down and give you three practical ways that you can invite the presence of the power of the Holy Spirit and the kingdom of God in your life. Here's the first one. The spirit of God makes you the kind of person you really want to be. Okay, think about this. Think about the fruit of the spirit. We all know it. The, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. I mean, who doesn't want to be more of that? If you've been married for more than two seconds, or if you have children, don't you want to be more peaceful in the chaos of this world? Don't you want to be more loving and kind, a better spouse? Don't you want to experience joy like if you live in the mundane of your job, the nine to five, where you feel like every day you get up, you get on an airplane, you go somewhere, at the end of the day, you're like, what am I doing all this for? Don't you want some contentment and joy? The thing is, this changed my life when I finally got this. You can't pursue those things. Listen to me. You can't pursue being more loving. 
and more peaceful and more kind. Those are fruits of the Spirit, meaning they're fruits and not roots. The fruit is the byproduct of a healthy life. Watch this. If you'll stop trying to pursue joy and you'll start pursuing Jesus, you'll actually become more joyful. You'll become those things. So so that's the fruit of the Spirit. You want to be more loving? Pursue Jesus. Allow and invite the, the Spirit of the living God into your life, and you will become those things. Here's the problem, though. Uh, sociologist Mark Sayers said this, and I think he's right. He said, the problem is, is we want the kingdom without the king, right? We want all of the rule and reign of a beautiful world that is filled with these things without the king, and it doesn't work like that. Or like Andy Stanley says, are you the kind of person that the person you are looking for is looking for? That's a good question. I just wish he'd answered it. You become the kind of person that the person you're looking for is looking for, by pursuing Jesus and then inviting the Spirit of God to live in your life, and then you become love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. So if you want, if you want this treasure, well, you gotta, you got to invite the Spirit of God to indwell in your life. Here's the second one. The Spirit of God makes you wise. How does he make you wise? Well, the Scriptures tell you. He convicts you of sin. You know, there's nothing more wise than understanding how to live a holy life. Think about it. Do you, do you know those people whose consciences are so seared that they don't even know that what they're doing is right or wrong? That's not wisdom. The Spirit teaches you. Some of you think that you need to go to seminary, have a PhD to understand the Bible. And listen, I'm all for seminary. I think it's a great tool. But that's, it. that's just it. It's a tool. Well, what you have at your disposal is the Spirit of the living God telling you that He will teach you the Scriptures and make you wise. The Spirit of God fills you with power to speak when necessary. So if you want to talk about being wise, imagine this. Imagine having a conviction to do the right things, the Spirit that teaches you His Word, and then Him that speaks through you. Here's number three. The Holy Spirit gives you spiritual gifts. Now, I don't, I don't want you to take this, because I, I don't know about you, I'm a little skeptical of those things at times. Like, we take this to the extreme. Like, I have a pastor friend of mine who's married and has four kids, and he took a spiritual gifts test, and it came back that he had the gift of celibacy. I'm like, bro, that ship might have sailed, all right? Like, that's, I'm not telling you to go take some spiritual inventory test, although there's a place for some of those things. You know how you understand what your spiritual gifts are? Start serving. Get in community around other people, and I promise you what ends up happening is God provokes in you a passion, a passion you might not even know that you're good at. And people start to call those things out in you as you become known. And as you become known in those things, you're like, man, actually, I am pretty good at that. That that is God's spiritual gifts for you to help build his kingdom. See, in man's economy, you might be told that you're not good enough, but in God's economy, you are gifted and beloved, and if you will lean into that, you will begin to fan into flame these things that God has for you. All right, back to the text, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and he covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Here's the point. The kingdom of heaven is so valuable that it's worth sacrificing all of your earthly possessions to gain it. It's worth leveraging your life for. It's worth stewarding your time, your talents, and your treasures for. Like Jim Elliott, the famous missionary who literally gave up his life said, I love this, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. The real question is, do you find joy in that? Do you believe that? Like, seriously, do you believe 
that the treasure found in Jesus is worth far more than anything you could have on earth. I'm telling you. I've told you this, and I've told you this for five years now since we planted this church. The kingdom of God changed my life. And all the money in the world would have never filled the void that Jesus has filled in my life. He's given me hope and purpose. He has made me a different kind of person. I, I want to tell my kids one day, as we look back on my life, and for you guys that are new here, my, my mother was addicted to drugs. My dad was abusive. I'm one of 13 kids, but I have one full biological brother. You, you can have that conversation later. And here's what I'm going to tell my kids one day. If you look at our family tree on Ancestry.com, there's, there's, a, there's a branch that went off in a different direction, and that was Jesus. One day when my great-great-grandkids look back on their family lineage, they're going to be like, something happened there. Something changed at that point in time. And it wasn't money. It wasn't education. It wasn't success. It was Jesus. The question is, is do you believe that that treasure that you have in Christ is better than anything that this world can give you at any time? That's the first parable. So the second parable, the second parable is a lot like the first parable, except there's some, there's some different details in it, and, and, it's, and it's important, okay? The first parable, a guy randomly finds a field. In the second parable, it's, it's a rich man who searches diligently for a treasure. See, in the first parable, it's accidental finding, and in the second parable, it's a merchant that finds a fine pearl, by the way, pearls, even today, aren't easy to find. That's why they're so valuable. But imagine this 2,000 years ago, how extremely difficult it would have been for some merchant to find a pearl. They didn't have the, the access to diving equipment and the technologies that we have. So it would have been really, really lucrative to find this. I, I heard a story that Cleopatra had the, the most famous and prized possession she had was a pearl. And it wasn't because it was the most beautiful thing in the world. It's because of the rarity and how difficult it would have been to find it. So, so listen to the parable. Again, a, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search for fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and he bought it. So this man, most likely extremely wealthy, he finds a pearl but this pearl is different. And because this pearl is so different, what does he do is he, he leverages everything that he has to get this thing that has more value to him, okay? It's more beautiful to him. You, you're getting the point, both of these guys, one of them accidentally finding it and the other one diligently searching for it, were, were willing to leverage everything that they had because what they found was more valuable than the asset that they had previously, I think in order to understand both of these, you got to understand that word value. What do you have that you find most valuable? Because, listen, Jesus says it like this in Matthew 6, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, we, we, we often think that, that our treasures determine where our heart is, but actually our heart determines our treasures. So you can kind of trace it back and you can... Uh, reverse engineer it to find out what do you actually find most valuable. Here's another way to think about it. Do you find Jesus useful or beautiful? You know what the difference is? If something is useful to you, it's a means to an end. Meaning this, you're using that thing to get what you really want, right? And, and, and nobody wants to be used. If you don't believe me, go home today and tell your spouse that you're just using them to have a better life or to have kids. Right, wives, go home and tell your husband, hey, 
I need to check in on that life insurance policy or your 401k because I'm going to be honest with you, like, you seem pretty good. So I'm just making sure we're good here if anything happens. Go home and do that. Come back and let me know how that worked. Nobody wants to be used. But to find something beautiful actually is quite significant. Last week, I was, um, I was in New York City, and I actually got, to, I guess two weeks ago now, I, I got to see Van Gogh's Starry Night in person. Uh, it's my favorite painting of all time. We're sitting in MoMA, which is an art gallery in New York City, and y'all, I paid money to stand in front of a picture. And if you, if you know anything about me, you'd be like jaw-dropped. I'm the guy that fell asleep during Wicked. And my wife punched me, and she said, no, nah, no, nah, we pay way too much money for you to take a nap. Now, I, I'm not an art kind of guy, but there's something beautiful about that picture. As I stared at it and we looked at the lines and the intricacies of it, and go, go look at it because it's the most amazing picture and convicting picture. What Van Gogh does in that photo is he puts light everywhere in that picture except for in the church. And Van Gogh was trying to tell you that the light of God is everywhere in the world except for the one place it's supposed to be. And I just sat there. And I found it so incredibly beautiful and convicting, so much so that I paid money to see it. You see, when you find something beautiful, you will take your hard-earned money just to experience the joy of it. It's like sometimes I take my kids to go get ice cream just to watch the joy on their face. It's beautiful. And it's worth every single dime. It's not a means to an end. I get nothing out of it. I didn't get the calories out of the ice cream that I paid for them to eat. I get the joy out of it. Do you find a relationship with Jesus to be beautiful or useful? Is he just your get out of hell free card? Or is he the one that you want to have a relationship with? Here's why people don't value the kingdom. Because the kingdom of God has a king. And if we don't want the king and we just want the kingdom, then the king becomes useful and not beautiful. And at the end of the day, the end of the day, that will crush you. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if you will find a relationship with Jesus as the point, it will satisfy all of your other needs in life. See, the, the secret to finding joy in this life is actually finding joy in the king. But, but here's the deal, okay? Three things I want to show you. Number one is this, you got to search for it. If you want the kingdom, you got to search for it. Now, notice that in both of these parables, the, the treasure is hidden and that you had to go in pursuit for it, right? Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search for a fine pearl. It's a hidden thing. What's fascinating to me about this is Jesus seems to be making the claim that for a lot of people in this world, the kingdom of God is hidden, and you guys are just waiting for Jesus to come find you as if he's lost. You got to go search. You got to go find. You know, a couple weeks ago, I'm sharing the gospel with a guy. And I'm telling you, I'm putting every dollar of my seminary to use as I'm giving unlock solid arguments about God. Like, I'm walking through, I'm proud of myself. I'm like, I listen to that on a podcast, and I'm going to tell him about how the resurrection is true, and all this makes sense, and he's just going to crumble, and he's going to come to worship. And here's what he says, Billy, honestly, I don't really care about your arguments. Because the reality is, it could be true. And everything you are telling me right now makes total sense. But be honest with you, I like the life that I'm living. 
I kid you not. This is what he said. And he said, one day if I die and it's all true, I'll deal with the consequences then. I wanted to be like, are you kidding me? The reality is, is he just didn't find the gospel as beautiful. What he found as beautiful was the life that he was living in. And I actually appreciated his honesty. He wasn't trying to fake it. He's like, man, look, I get it. Jesus might be who he said that he is. But if I follow Jesus, well, I'm gonna have to give up some stuff. And at the end of the day, you're only gonna pursue something that you really want. And he didn't want it. But listen to me. It's even in the pursuit of things that God does something absolutely amazing in your life. It's in the pursuit of the treasure. Like working hard to accomplish your goal. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get to the end of the goal and the pursuit of the working hard at it was actually more life-changing than accomplishing the goal. Like running a marathon, right? I loved crossing the finish line, but the real work was in the nine months prior in the training. And that's where my life changed. The process is what changes you. Why? Because at the end of the day, the goal is not to achieve something. The goal is the relationship, right? It's like that my goal wasn't standing on an altar with my wife and saying some vows, my goal was spending a lifetime in relationship with her and committing to that. As you search for the kingdom, that's what changes you. So you gotta create some disciplines to do that. Like pray that God would pour out his spirit on you. Start serving regularly to build his kingdom. It's not an accident. It's not an accident that many people in this world, including secular people, find the greatest joy and satisfaction in their life as they're serving other people. Why is that? Because you were designed for that. Go on a mission trip. You know, we've got, we've got three mission trips that we're about to announce to you in the near future that are coming up that I want you to go on. Why? Because as you serve, as you give up your time and your money to go and serve other people, what you end up doing in the pursuit of the goal, if you keep the main thing the main thing, is you end up you finding the treasure. And listen to me. It's not about what you do. The kingdom of God is more about surrender than doing. It's about saying, God, I'm yours. See, the real way to find the kingdom is by actively stepping off the throne of your life and inviting God to be on the throne. Have you done that? Have you said, Lord Jesus, this is yours. All of this is yours. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna step aside. Again, because in every, in every heart, there is a kingdom and there is a king. You're either the king of your own domain or he is. But I'm telling you, he doesn't share that throne with anybody. So if you'll step aside and let him do it, what you'll find in this daily surrender of life is that you'll find him good, which is number two, you have to sacrifice for it. Not only do you have to pursue it, you have to sacrifice for it. Like when you read these parables, I mean, there's an exchange going on, right? He sold everything he had to buy a field. He, he got rid of the other pearls that he had to get these. Look, worldly treasures for heavenly treasures, that's the exchange, In both cases, they found greater value in what they received than what they gave up. Here's the deal. Jesus is better than anything that you're gonna give up. He's better than money. So I'm just telling you, leverage your money to get him. He's better than fame. So leverage your platform for his glory. He's better than anything that you spend your life doing because he's better than life itself. (laughs) I think there's, there's one thing in this sacrifice that nobody likes to talk about. But I just want to, I want to put it out there. It ha- following Jesus does cost you something, okay? Like, it, it's not like you just pray a prayer and you get a get out of hell free card. It does cost you. Listen, listen to what he says. If anybody would come after me, 
Notice this. Jesus is telling you, coming after him is an active pursuit. When he says, anybody will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Y'all, do you see the cost here? Deny yourself? That's a big cost. Take up your cross. I don't know about you, but like we, we have romanticized this thing called a cross. We wear it on our neck. We get it tattooed on our arms. We put it in churches. But back in those days, the cross was like a form of execution. It'd be like you putting a, 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 an electric chair around your neck and walking around the city with it. It'd be a little weird. What he's saying is, is you have to die to yourself, right? Forever who would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I love that. If you really want life and you sacrifice to follow him, what you actually get is abundant life. You don't lose your life, you gain your life. See, the greatest lie on the planet, I'm gonna tell you, the greatest lie on the planet is that following Jesus restricts your freedom. Let me just tell you, I I bought that lie for so long and that lie only brings you to more shame and despair. If you've been around here a while, I've told this story a million times. So here's a million and one. C.S. Lewis, it's the best illustration I've ever heard of this. He talks about a fish swimming around in a fishbowl. And he says, hey, you got this fish and he's just swimming around and he's swimming around in there and he, and he looks out at you guys and he's like, man, what am I doing in this place? Like I got this little tiny bowl here and it's so restricting. And these guys, they can walk around and they can do whatever they want. Like bump this, I'm out. So what does the fish do? The fish is like one day, I'm, I'm, I'm getting out of the confines of this restricting life. So I'm gonna jump out of the bowl. But the fish doesn't jump to his freedom. He jumps to his death. Because freedom is not doing whatever you want, whenever you want. Freedom is living within the confines that you were created for. And that's the story of our lives. If we're honest, we do this all the time. Man, I want to sleep with whoever I want to sleep with. I don't really care what that says. Like, it's so restricting. How are you going to tell me that? But the reality is every encounter that you have is like pulling duct tape off your skin and every time it pulls more and more and more of you until there's nothing left of you and you get more shame and you're lonelier and you're never fulfilled. I wish somebody would have told me the truth that in the long run, intimacy with one person is far sweeter, far freer, and far more loving than trying to pursue it all the time with any random person that you can think of. Don't believe the lie because it is a lie. You know how I know that? The most miserable people on the planet are the people that do whatever they want whenever they want. You show me a 90-year-old couple that's still holding hands and have been together for 60 years, and they have a joy in them that I wish somebody would just say, look at them. That's what you all want, right? You mean, you mean I got to follow a bunch of archaic rules for my life? Y'all, those rules aren't restricting. They're not archaic either. They actually work. It's like a fence. Okay, you put a fence up in your yard. There's two things that that fence can do depending on how you look at it. That fence can restrict your access or it can create a place of freedom for your kids to play. Like if you live on a main highway, that fence right there actually creates safe space for them to play in. That's what God's laws do. They're not restricting so you can't experience things out there. No, what are they? They're a place for you to play in freedom and enjoy your life in. See, the kingdom kingdom lets you live in freedom and joy because it allows you to function in the ways that you were originally designed to live. The problem is, is you've been lied to. You've been told that that's not fun. And by the way, if any pastor ever tells you, hey, sin's not fun, they, they ain't doing it right. That's not the point. The point is not that it's not fun. The point is that it will actually lead you to death. Little by little by little, it will suck the life out of you. You want to have joy. Joy is found in following Jesus. 
I want to challenge you to start leveraging yourself to follow Jesus. Like some of you, like let's just get real here. Some of you need to start giving. You need to start giving to the church. Like you can go and give online today, set it up, reoccurring. Why? Why? Not, not because we need your money. Here, here's the reality. Over the last five years, every single year, our budget has been in the black. Okay? We're, we're not like hurting where we need your, no, God doesn't care about your money. He cares about your heart. And oftentimes where your treasure is or your heart is also, oftentimes there's this thing that in our pursuit that's keeping us from him. So what God wants to do is he wants to take you from this to this. And I'm telling you, some of you just need to jump into the freedom of letting go. You tell your money what you're doing with your life, not your money tell you what you have to do with your life. And listen, if that makes you feel icky at all, don't give it here. Go give it somewhere else. Because I care more about you being a generous person that lives in freedom than you filling a line on our line items, okay? I'm telling you, some of you, some of you need to start being a part of a small group. Like, and that, look, that's going to take some time. It's going to take some sacrifice. Discipleship happens in relationships, and relationships at our church happen in small groups, in circles, not rows, where you're sitting together and you're doing the good, the bad, and the ugly of life together. But you know what? It does take sacrifice. Let's be real. It's going to take you prioritizing a day of the week to do that. It's going to take you paying for a babysitter, okay? And they ain't cheap anymore. It's not like you pay them $6 an hour. No, they went like $30 an hour today. But I'm telling you, there's not a single person in this room who is engaged in a small group that would not tell you that it's not a worthwhile use of their time. Right, Jeffrey? It's amazing. When you live life together, some of you need to decide that you're going to start showing up here on a regular basis. Our average attendance right now is about once every four to five weeks. And I get it. I got four kids, three of them play sports. Just so you know, we decided to do family night on Wednesday this week. And my son's football team, who's, he's, I'm, I'm his head coach, decided that they're going to do the championship games on Wednesday night this week. Guess who's in the championship game? Us. Yeah, that's hard. It's a hard decision to have to make. I get it. Like, I'm wrestling with that. So I just emailed the, um, the, the president of the league and, you know, dropped the Trump card and said, I'm a pastor, and we got a Wednesday night thing, and they gave us the night game. But here we go. But it's still going to interrupt some things. Like, it's at 745. I'm going to miss half of it. The reality is, though, I, I just believe that there's nowhere better in the world to be than here. And some of you, some of you need to go above and beyond your tithe to help us do what our elder team believes is the next step for the season of this church. See, I, I told you this last week. Our elder team believes that we want to invest in the next generation of our church. Now, as I talk about that, listen, I know that the gospel is the treasure that Jesus is talking about, but let me paint a picture of what that treasure might look like. I mean, that treasure, imagine this. Imagine that your sons and your daughters who are in middle school or high school or, or, or in third, fourth, and fifth grade over there, imagine that they get to experience the multiplying blessing of the kingdom of God because we decided that we were going to invest in it. Here, here's the picture that I think about. I think about those little sweet toddlers back there that are going to grow up in this church, and we're going to baptize them in this church, and they're going to find Jesus in this church because the investment that we made. I think about the kids in our city who are contemplating suicide at this very moment, and y'all, they're everywhere. I'm a chaplain for the police department, and unfortunately, it happens all the time, and I think about those kids, and they have a space of freedom like we just sung about 
where they get to come in here in a space to worship Jesus and the investment that we're making. I think about families who are reconciled to their wayward kids coming back home. For some of you, I think about you being grandparents and you've been praying for years for a gospel-centered church that your kids can be a part of and your grandkids can be a part of and we are going to build that place. See, City Church, we were named after Jeremiah 29 to seek the welfare of the city that God has sent us. I can't think of a better investment in the next season of our life as we seek the peace of this city than to build something that restores the next generation. Like I know, I know that that's not the treasure, but I mean, is that not an amazing part of the treasure that we're going to experience as God builds his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven? You know, that, that means for all of us, what we're going to ask you to do is to invest your time, your talents, and your treasures in helping us build a student ministry in 2024 to see the gospel go to the next generation. Now, here's what that's going to look like. There's a commitment card on every one of your seats. I don't want you to do anything with that commitment card today unless you want to, other than I want you to take it, and I want you to pray over it, and I want you to bring it to family night on Wednesday this week as we're going to go before the Lord, and we're going to commit together. Here's what we're committing to. Okay, we're committing to one year to faithfully try to build this thing called student ministry. What we want to do and what we believe God is calling us to do is to raise $150,000 above and beyond our tithe to specifically build out a space for our students who are here. And by the way, if you didn't know that, there's a group of students that meet right across the street at Boarding Pass Coffee in a crammed up coffee shop right now, and they have nowhere to go. So what we want to do is we want to build out a space in our building across from the bathrooms that they can have like a game room or something to play in and then move our student ministry off of Sunday mornings to a night during the week to where they can actually come in and they can worship in an age-appropriate way. We want to invest in curriculum that teaches the gospel to our kids and comes alongside of you as parents to disciple them. And we're going to begin the process of hiring a student pastor to come in and be able to teach those kids in an age-specific way. Now, I know... I know that campaigns don't pay for staff. We get that. We're not asking you to pay for a staff person. Here's what we're doing is we're trying to come alongside with some seed money to bring in and to move the momentum forward so that as we budget for a staff person to come in, we can do that. And here's what's really cool. We're going to come alongside of Just One Africa, who is a part of building a high school in Kenya right now because this high school is actually meeting in shipping containers and these kids don't have anywhere to go. It's either go to a high school that doesn't exist or go to the streets. So we're going to come alongside of them, and we're going to help them fund that high school too. Because we don't, want to just, we don't want to just be a part of building the next generation here. We want to see God's kingdom grow on earth as it is in heaven. We want to see, we want to see us sacrificially invest in the next generation. That's going, to, that's going to mean that we need to make more time and money and room for families to come in here. Here's one of our plumb lines here. Healthy things grow and healthy things change. Yo, we're five years old. We're a young church. But I just think it's time for us to grow, and that means it's time for us to change, and that's investing in something new. Number three. Number three is this. Remember, you got to invest in it. You got to sacrifice for it. You have to enjoy it. Do you notice it was in his joy that he gave up everything to get this field? See, he was making an investment in something better, and it brought him joy. Now, there's nothing more practical than a life of joy and leveraging for something that will bring you joy. The reality is this Christianity is not supposed to be something you do begrudgingly. It's supposed to be something you enjoy. So let me just go back to the question that we started with. Is what you are living for worth living for? 
Like when it's all said and done, that's the real question of your life because, because it's all paper clips, y'all. All of it is. Like I heard a guy tell me recently, and this was so profound. He's like, Billy, I don't want to live my entire life building up a net worth that's only going to be squandered by somebody in the future that I don't even know, that I didn't, that, 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 that it didn't go to anything important. I want to invest in something eternal. C.T. Studd, maybe the coolest name ever, uh, was a guy, was, was a super educated British guy in the 1800s. Studd went to Cambridge and he became really famous uh, for being a cricket player. Now, I know as Americans, we're like, what's cricket? And back then, it was a big deal. It was a big deal. He's super famous, and he had everything going for him, but God got a hold of him. He got a hold of him, and Stud couldn't, he couldn't keep going. So what he said is, I want something to satisfy the deeper levels of my soul. And he gave up everything to become a missionary. And as he was a missionary, he wrote this poem. He said, only one life will soon be passed, only one only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will be the fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I know I'll say, twas worth it all. Only one life, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. See, in the end, that's it. Only one life. The question that you're gonna have to ask yourself is which one did you live for? What did you leverage for? What did you give for? Like Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I don't know about you, but I've never seen anybody with a U-Haul behind a hearse. You only get one life and every bit of it's worth building God's kingdom for. Only one life which will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Father, I pray that you would give us hope and courage. God, that you would give us joy as we seek the treasure found in you, like hidden in a field. God, would you help us to leverage what we have to build your kingdom, to be committed to this thing that really will last to not be satisfied with the temporary, but to leverage for the eternal. Like C.T. Studd said, only one life will last. God, help us to make it worth it. Help us to glorify you, to walk with you, and to commit to you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.